Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. We are really glad that you're all here to uh, worship with us uh, this morning. Uh, we are continuing and at the same time wrapping up a series that we started two weeks ago called Recovering the Image. And we've been looking at God's original design for the family, God's original design for manhood. And today we're talking about womanhood. And any pastor that talks about womanhood gets a little nervous um, because I'm not a woman and being here that you're here this morning, you can see that. And so later in the service, my wife is actually going to talk a little bit about her journey in being the woman that God has designed her to be. And so women bear with me for the first part, and then it will all make sense once she comes up here. Uh, so we're really glad you're here. wanted to just review where we've been uh, the last few weeks. Like I mentioned, we've actually been looking at God's original design based on creation. And to learn about creation in the scriptures, you actually can look at the beginning, the first book called Genesis, and you can learn about really God's plan for humanity in the way that he created man and woman. Woe man. You ever seen that? Anyway, sorry. Side joke. So I married Max Murderer. He does a song called Woe Man. If you've not seen it, it's not going to make any sense. If you have, you might chuckle. Okay, but anyways, we're looking at, again, uh, God's original design, and it's not based on culture as much as it is creation, how God designed things from the beginning. In the first week, we talked about God's design for family, and we looked about the, the importance of the family unit, God creating men and women to unite in marriage and to raise godly children. And we talked about the importance of leaving really a legacy not based on materialism or success, but really a godly legacy. And we talked about really no matter where you are in your life, uh, it's not too late to begin walking with God. And just as an item of correction, two weeks ago I was here, last week I was in Diamond Bar, and I talked about the first week when I was here, Jacob and Esau, and how uh, Jacob's life, he lived his own way for a long time. And even when he was born, he was struggling to be first. And I actually said that he was born first. And I said, the Bible says it. But if you actually read the Bible, he wasn't born first. So if you went back and you looked and you're like, where is that? It wasn't in there. And so as an item of correction, I got muddled in my head. Esau was born first. Jacob was holding onto his ankle, but he still came out second. If that's been bothering you the last two weeks, I apologize. But there it is. It's corrected. Okay. So now sigh of relief. Now you can read the Bible. It's going to make sense now because I screwed it up. Uh, last week, we talked about manhood and how God has given men a certain role to play in life. Uh, one that is really built on using your energy and using really purpose to accomplish something in the world. And how we really have to guard against passivity and really giving our energy to the wrong things. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about God's unique design for women. And how he has made them different from men. And in that uniqueness, they actually have a specific role that they play that's different than men. And actually brings something to the family environment, something to the work environment, something to church life that men can't bring alone. And so we're going to dig into that. But like I mentioned, the beginning account of this about how men and women are designed to be is found in Genesis 1. And in verse 27, it says this. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so it's just this this ordinance. This is how God made humanity. He made man and he made woman and he made them. It was from his hand. We come because God has purposed us to be here on this earth. He made us. 
And what you find is because of the, the differences, the fact that he made men and women, we're, we're like two puzzle pieces that fit together. And really, in the creation story, you see really the first team, the first family unit, the first men and women that come together to figure out how to do life God's way. But the fact is, from the beginning, as you see the story develop, it wasn't just that Adam and Eve were made and lived happily ever after. In fact, Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God, and they decided that they really wanted to figure out their own design. They wanted to figure out their own purposes. They wanted to really do things their own way. And so they actually began to kind of rebel against God's design once they sinned. And really, we are affected by that today. And if you're here today, you've experienced the effects of sin in your personal life. You've probably experienced the effects of sin on your family life, in every environment in which you live. Sin is real, and it's a problem. It's caused us to really miss the mark on God's original design. But the good news is the way God works is because he made us, he has ownership of us. He doesn't just make us and just say, well, you guys figure it out on your own. I'm going to be over here doing my God thing and I'm just going to forget you. He doesn't do that. God stays close. In fact, throughout history, God has always been looking for people that want to turn back to him to figure out how life should work. And so our role, no matter where you are, whether you've had experience following Christ or you're new to this Christianity thing, and you're trying to figure it out. There's a part in which all of us need to turn from going our own way to look back to God who created us. And as we ask him, God, help me to figure out my life. God, help me to figure out this situation. God, help me to figure out these relationships that I'm in. In him comes the original design. And just like any designer, he knows how we're made. And since he knows how we're made, he knows how we're supposed to operate. He has all the, the things that we need to be who we are. But in life, we, we fight against that. In culture and in our experiences, we're trying to always discover who we're meant to be. Discover yourself. The problem is without the designer, without God, we can't figure it out. And so we beat our heads up against the wall because there's frustration that exists. And so what we're doing in this series is we want to go back to the scriptures to find out God's design. And from that, to get clarity. And from clarity, we can have purpose. And as we have purpose, we can actually walk in the way that we're supposed to go. And that's where life really is a blessing. When we live according to how God, our creator, has made us. And so that's really the backdrop for what we've been trying to do is to recover this image. It can get distorted by our own experiences. It can get distorted by what we experience in the media. It can get distorted by those around us. But we have clarity and the picture becomes clearer as we look into the scriptures and read the truth about who we were meant to be. And so that's really what we're going to do. We're going to go again, look at what the scriptures have to say. And so God wants us to team together. And the first components of the team was just not one man by himself. It was a man and a woman. And God wants to be in the mix for allow us to figure out how we should be working together as different sexes. And God values teamwork. He values teamwork not only in the family as a man and woman become married and commit their lives to live life together and to raise a family together. He also values team in the church as we want to do his will. He values team at work. He wants people that work together. And so teamwork is something that's very important. But again, to understand teamwork, we need to know our differences. We need to know our similarities. And so what you find in the beginning is we are made in God's image. Men and women, both of us, we're made in, in God's image. And so because of that, we have a certain dignity that separates us from the animals. 
We have a role to play on this earth that separates us from any other created thing. And so we have a tremendous amount of purpose, both men and women. And God wants us to tap into that purpose. So we actually have this desire and this picture of what life can be. And it is a as we do it God's way. And so let's kind of look again back at the beginning, what it is to be a woman by God's design. And we're going to fast forward a little bit from Genesis 1:27 to Genesis chapter 2. And this is the description of how Eve came to be the first woman. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, if you've never read this creation story, this can appeal, appeal pretty odd. And even as you read it, and I read it, it seems like, okay, this is crazy. Is that a power nap or what? Like, that's, a, that's, that's an effective nap. You're by yourself, you fall asleep, you wake up, and there's someone else that's never existed. God says, Here, here's your helper. And Adam, who was alone, took a nap and woke up, and he's no longer alone. And from that point, he had a picture of, I, I'm here, and part of my role is to cooperate with this woman. We're supposed to work together. And there's this picture of now his, his purpose was transformed. He wasn't meant to be alone. There was this idea of team. You see teamwork, again, right from the beginning. And so you actually can find a lot about women from this story, even from the name that was given Eve. Eve's name is actually Life Giver. And that really describes a lot of the strengths that women get, give. Not only are the women that get pregnant and produce life, but they're also the life givers in the relationships that you see. And this really speaks to specific strengths that women have that are different than men. Men, we're, again, more wired about achievement and accomplishing goals. Women are more wired by, they can achieve things, but they want to do it in a way that strengthens the relationships. If you ask a guy about the relationship, he's like, what relationship? There was people there. Women, that's how they're wired. That's the lens from which they see. There's this idea of the life giver. There's just life in their relationships, the blood that flows, the environment that's set. Women have a unique role in this. This was given from the very beginning. Eve, it's, it's life giver and she was a companion to Adam and even in that she was really there to make the relationship better there was no relationship without Eve so you see there's this unique strength that the woman has she's a life giver to the relationship she provides this relationship to happen and this is how women are wired relationships are very important and they can relate in a way very different than a man It actually kind of goes back to, again, this creation. Women are made to invite others into their world and into relationship. That's one of the unique strengths. They're also wired to build networks of relationships that strengthen and encourage others. So there's this networks of relationships that women have that are very different. 
Men, we have relationships and we have strong relationships, but oftentimes those relationships are strength as we do something together. Women relating to each other is actually what they do. We want to do something, men, and then we might relate. Women want to actually relate and that be what they do. And, and that hardly makes sense to me because I'm a guy. But to women, that's, that's part of their life. That's how they're made. To network together, to have these relationships that will strengthen. That's a key part of their identity. And these are unique strengths. Now you can hear that. It's like, so what? Guys accomplish everything in the world and women, we just sit there talking? No. But as women are doing things, there's this quality of relationships that you see that you do not have with men as they relate. It's true. Case in point, if you walked in this morning, you entered the plaza area. The plaza area that we have out there was designed by women. Do you know why that is? Because we actually wanted a place where people could come and relate and connect before they came into worship service. If a guy created the plaza, you'd have a bag of Doritos, two recliners... And that would be it. Welcome to Church in the Valley. Sit down and eat. And for those women that are here, they think, okay, one, I don't really want to eat Doritos before church. And that recliner can't really relate to people in that. Guys were like, just sit me down somewhere and everything's fine. So even in the little things, women can create an environment that men can't create. And it's related to how they're wired. It's created how they see things. So it's not who achieves and who doesn't achieve. It's how... You go about doing it. How the things are wired together. And so let me just unpack a little bit more about these unique strengths. So the first unique strength of, of women is making and keeping connections. You see this in the family life. You see this in the work life. You see this in church life. All the arenas. You see this, this thing of women that they can make and keep connections with people. Like I've just mentioned, the plaza. But they've also done lots of studies just on young girls and young boys and the differences. And there was a Canadian study a few years ago that kind of described what happens from birth to then like the nursery to like the elementary age. What, what's the differences and see if they could track? Is it something that just they're different and then they become alike, men and women or boys and girls, or are they always different? And here's some of the studies that, that were found. Girl babies are more interested in people and faces. Boys were just as content with an object dangled in front of them. That, that's, that's pretty true. You dangle a piece of like beef jerky in front of a guy on a, you know, and we'll focus on that. A girl, they don't want an object. They actually want a person. Guys, they're just, even as a baby, they're just, they're not wired that way. At preschool, goodbyes at the preschool for girls lasted 92.5 seconds on average minute and a half, just goodbye, goodbye, we love you, goodbye, you know, and they're just connecting, connecting. Guys, 36 seconds. See you, Mom. Got my lunch. Good. See ya. They're gone. And if you, you have boys and you have girls, you can see this. The connection is different. On the playground, boys will, for the most part, race all over the playground. Girls, they, they cluster. Why do they cluster? Because they want to listen to each other. They want to talk. This is on the playground. This is elementary school. They want to talk to their friends. You don't see these same clusters. You see craziness with guys. They're just going everywhere. And so even this, as you look at the beginning from birth to these young formative years, you see these differences. And it's based on these strengths. Making connections. Keeping connections. And you see that in family life. 
women have a unique connection to the kids, to the husband, to the relatives, than the man does. And oftentimes women, relationally, are what keeps the family together. It's true. The second unique strength of women is they build networks of relationships. There's these networks that they can build. It's not just making and keeping connections, but there's actually networks that foster people experiencing love that they would not have felt without a woman being there to relate in a certain way and connect them to other people. And you see this, just this ability to connect people, not only just on the surface level, but actually to bring people in to a relationship that, that's completely unique. And this isn't, again, about achieving or not achieving, but it's really the, the lens through which you look at life. They did a study as well of professional women that have succeeded in business. And they've compared a woman's vantage point of her success versus a man's vantage point of success. And a man, for the most part, would look at the goals that they accomplished and the time that they accomplished it. And that's what made them successful. Women, for the most part, viewed it as really their their view of who they are. And their primary identity was the relationships. Who had helped them get, get to where they were? That was the lens through which they see. Who were the networks? Who were the connections that the person value that got them to where they were or what brought value to their current workplace? It was always revolved around the relationships. It wasn't the same with men. And see, in today's world, we try to lump men and women as they're the exact same because we don't want anyone to feel like they're superior or inferior. But the fact is, the way God designed, it's not a matter of who is better, who's worse, who brings more, who brings less. It's really the fact of how do you put both together Again, to do what God created us to do. And it's built on the strengths that he made in both men and women. And just like men, because of these strengths, there's also a unique set of opportunities and struggles that will come. And that's, again, linked to the fall. Because of sin, we don't just have strengths. We have weaknesses. We have problems. We have issues. And women oftentimes have unique weaknesses and unique struggles that are different than men. Again, men, they struggle with passivity. They just they want to just kind of take a step back. Pull into themselves and not accomplish the things that God wants them to. Or it's the opposite. They want to use their energy to pursue the things that aren't helpful for them and aren't helpful for the people in their life. They give themselves to things that do not matter and do not last. Women, the struggles are a little bit different. And the way I want to unpack that is I want to look at the book of Titus like we did last week, which talked about the character qualities that men and women are supposed to have. And this context is specific to how church life should work. So this is helpful for our own context since we're in church. The picture is not just how a married person should look, even though there is specific instructions to married people. And there's specific instructions to people who are married with kids. But it's also characteristics of what it means to be a godly man and a godly woman. And so last week we looked at the same passage before it that describes the man. And now we're going to be looking at some characteristics of women. The thing that's important is many times as we look at who we are meant to be, Oftentimes, we look at what we have done or what we have not done, whether that's achievement or whether that's in relationships, in our networks. 
But as you look into the scriptures, what's important about who we're meant to be is actually the type of person. It's the character. Who are we supposed to be? How are we supposed to treat people? How are we supposed to relate in a way that actually gives people a different image of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman? There's this thing of... It's described in the scriptures that when you live a certain way, people will see the way you live and, and it's different. And the image that you have is different. And it's not based on the outward appearances, whether that's achievement or even just physical appearance. It's based on the person that you are. And so as we talk about these characteristics, it's really all about the character. It doesn't talk about this list of how to be glamorous, this list of how to be successful, how to get rich. It's the person you're supposed to be. And so I want to dig in again in Titus 2. And Paul is writing this and he's describing older women and younger women. And he charges the older women first. And we don't know exactly the age of the older women, uh, but it's something like their, their kids are probably grown, uh, they're you know, extending into life, and he's trying to give them a purpose that this is what your life should be, even as maybe your family has left. And then he gives a charge to the younger women. And so we're going to see how both of these connect. So Titus 2 verse 3 says, Older women likewise, and likewise is talking about the characteristics of men. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, and the word of God may not be reviled. So there's this picture. Okay, the older women, this is how you're supposed to be. And a big part of who you're supposed to be is you're supposed to help the younger women be who they're supposed to be. And so you, again, see this generational impact that's important to God that the, the older train up the younger. And here it's not just talking about family life. It's talking about community. This is our role to play with each other. That We are part of the same team. Both men and women and young and old. And not only do we try to kind of say there's no differences between the sexes, but we also try to say, you know, older and younger, it doesn't matter. And in our country as well, we've kind of taken, you know, the older people, they can get discarded in our culture. But the older people especially the people that walk with God, they're the people that can teach us how life works. They have experience. And so that's why you see this distinction. The older can train the younger. And so you see this again and again. So just want to walk through a few of these things and kind of unpack them. So older women, reverent in behavior. The idea here is you're supposed to live a life that draws respect from others. You live a respectful life. Not slanderers. A slanderer is someone that finds fault with the approach or the actions of others. You see what people do and you think to yourself, mm, you're not doing that right. And there's this, there's this pickiness, there's this nagging, there's this thing that, that's not right. You pick fault, you criticize. You tell older women, you don't slander people. Don't put them down because of what they're doing. Don't criticize. See how you can help, see how you can love. And this is specific to women. He didn't tell men to do this. Part of it is women use a lot more words than men. It's true. And as it's true, the more words you use, the more problems you can get into. I've learned in my own life, sometimes shutting my mouth is like the best thing I can do. 
And I can appear a lot wiser if I don't say anything at all. And so the picture here is this idea of slander. You just, it's going to be more of a struggle for women. Part of it's relationally. Because of the network of relationships and the connection they have. When women see each other and you see it go bad, junior high girls, right? Everyone's looking at each other like, oh, no, she didn't. And this network gets messed up as people criticize and judge and get all these different things in there that cause people to think the worst. So don't slander. Not slaves to much wine. Now, this is really interesting. He's specific to the older women. Like older women, watch the drinking. And it's interesting in the context, part of what he's saying, and this is, you can see a pattern of this through history. And it's not just women, but it's as people get older and they kind of lose their place of what they're supposed to be doing in their life. Maybe their kids are gone. Maybe they're alone and they're just trying to figure out what am I supposed to be about? They're retired. There's this tendency that, well, I'm just going to fill the void with alcohol or some substance. That substance is just going to make me feel better about this stage. I don't know what to do with. So he's warning, don't. Don't be a slave to this. Don't let this rule you. You weren't made for that. If a woman is living for alcohol, she is the most void person because that doesn't give her the connection that she longs for. That actually destroys her relationships and in the same way can destroy her life. So don't be a slave to that. Then he goes to challenge. Teach what is good. And the teaching is really in the context of train the younger women. Teach what is good. How life works. What should you give your energy to? What should you focus on? What should you not focus on? What should be important? What's not important? There's a sense of train the younger women. Teach them what is good. Help them to see what their bearings should be and help them to see what they should give themselves to. Teach them what is good. Train the young woman, the young women, to love their husbands and their children. Now, this may seem like, why, why is that in there? To train them to love? Well, have you guys heard the honeymoon is over? Right? That's real. He's just describing, there's this part of where you get married and you're loving wife and you're loving your husband and you have kids and you just love your kids and then all of a sudden there gets to the point where you're just like, This is not as easy as it used to be. This is not as pretty as it used to be. This is a lot harder than it was. This is a lot more complex than it's ever been. And there's a part of which, as a woman, because of your wiring, because you're so closely engaged with the people around you, there's this part as you experience problems or pain or as you've been hurt, you withdraw. And you cut yourself off emotionally from the people that are closest to you. That can happen to your husband. It can happen to your kids. And as you do that, the relationship dries up because, again, the the woman is this life giver. She creates these relationships that a man cannot create by himself. So he's saying you have to, to, to remind them what it looks like to love. And men, you know, we're not lovable a lot. We can be grouches. We can be demanding. We can be controlling. We can come home from work. And if we're hungry, watch out. I learned that at a young age. The difference between my man, my man, the difference between my, my dad and my mom, if my dad was hungry, he was a bear. If my mom was hungry, she would actually make lunch for all of us and we'd eat it together. She's different. And I learned that. And so you think of the things, it's just there's this part of what, you know, children, they're unlovable. Husbands can be unlovable. 
And because of this relationship the woman has, that these people can be sucking the life out of them. And the wife can get to this point, and the mom can get to this point where, I'm done giving. I don't have anything left to give. But you see, the way that they're reminded is in the context of an older woman that's encouraging them. Don't cut yourself off. Don't step back. Don't withdraw. Love these people. God's given you this unique role. Love them. You have to train these younger women to do it. They don't know. And so these older, these older women have this picture of, okay, I need to help them because it's tough. It's hard. It's hard to love people. It's especially hard to love people that you're closest to at times. And then it, it shifts gears. And then he says, okay, younger women, you've been reading so far and you're like, okay, the older women, they got a lot to do. I'm just going to sit here and look pretty. No! You've got to be a certain way too. And then he says this. Here, you need to train the younger women to love their, their husband and their children. But then he goes on to some certain characteristics the younger women need to focus on. Last week for men, the young men were supposed to be self-controlled. Because without self-control, you can't be the person God wants you to be because you're just going to be chasing your passions and your desires. And you see the same thing for younger women. You can't be the person that God's made you to be unless you get some of these things in place. Self-controlled. Again, it's the exercising restraint. The younger you are, the less self-control you have. The less self-control you have, every idea is a good idea. Remember that? Like, that's, that's, that's the young life. Every idea is a good idea. As you get older, there are ideas that are better than some ideas. And you can learn that the hard way as you break those rules. So self-controlled, pure. Uh, this is the idea of, of just modesty. God's made you to be modest. Working at home. Again, it's back to the identity. Now, it doesn't mean that women can't work outside of home, but it needs to mean their primary identity is still based on this relationship they have with their husband and with their kids. This is their primary identity. And most women that work outside of the home, this is still going to be the pull that they have. So what Paul's saying is you don't have to fight against that. You have to embrace that. That is your primary identity. This is what God made you to be. This woman connected in relationships. And so embrace it. Uh, kind. Uh, this, this idea of you, you're, you're good, you're, you're morally honorable. It's again, your behavior, the person you are, it, it garners respect. And then the last, submissive to their own husbands. This is really the idea of following your husband. Now, in the marriage, God gave men and women unique roles. And God gave the man the role to lead. But a man can only lead as the wife follows. Or like one guy says, if you're leading and no one's following, you're just taking a walk. You look around, oh, I'm not leading anyone. So there's this idea for, for, for young women, you, you need to learn how to follow your husband. And this idea of submissive is this idea of when, when it comes down to it, you give input, but you, the responsibility is on him. He's going to have to stand before God for how the family life went. He has to answer to God about why you did this or why you did that. It's on him. So he's telling the women, you, you, you have to follow your husband. Back to the creation, just like Eve followed Adam. Adam came first, then Eve. And in this, there's this, this tension of, 
well, I don't, I don't know how I could ever follow him. Or if you're not married, I don't know how I could ever follow any man. Welcome to the struggle. It's true. We're broken people. We're messed up. And to ask anyone to follow anyone in authority is so risky. But that's why we need God. It's very difficult for anyone to follow any authority without God who we entrust our lives to. It's especially difficult as you look at the marriage. If we're asking women to follow their husband, that's risky. But that's why we need God. We trust him. And it's risky for the man to lead. If he's responsible before God, that's a weighty responsibility. But we trust ourselves to God as well. And so I want to invite my my wife up and she's going to just share a little bit about how God's grown her in really, I guess, recovering the image for herself as being the woman that she's been designed to be. Now, this is Samantha Barrett. Uh, In two weeks, we are actually going to celebrate our uh, 12th year of marriage. And just a little context of the last 12 years. I first met Samantha when I was 17 years old in college and she was 18. And I'm just going to let you know how the relationship started. This will provide valuable context for what the last 15 to 16 years have looked like of her life as she is connected to me. We had math class as freshmen, and we were connecting, and I, I was a very arrogant, flirtatious 17-year-old. And I thought, you know, I was going to work my magic on Samantha. And we started talking, and I was connecting with her, and we're talking about our majors and what we wanted to do, and she was telling me behavioral science and sometimes of counseling. I was like, that's great. And I was just saying, I hope she asks me because I'm the most important thing in the room right now. And she said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I think I'd like to be in ministry and possibly a youth pastor. And she said, oh, that, that's, that's fascinating. And I said, you know what? You'd make a great youth pastor's wife. <laughs> First conversation we ever had. Now, as arrogant as I was, 12 years strong, baby. <laughs> she didn't know I was going to say that. But, but the reason I say that is there is a God. Because we're here. And despite the fact the way I acted when she first met me, we've learned to team with each other. And I'm very thankful for Samantha. Really, over the last 12 years, when we first got married, uh, we, were, we were very young. And we were trying to figure out what it means to be married, what our roles were, and we, we struggled with that, trying to figure out how, how am I supposed to lead her and how was she supposed to follow, and we had problems that came up just as I was laid off work, and we experienced tension with our finances, and as problems came, the, just the relationships, just more and more clarity was needed because we weren't sure of what we were supposed to do, and so I just wanted Sam to share just a little bit about how God has used uh, really the differences to help uh, strengthen not only her walk with God, but also just strengthen our, our marriage as she's been the person that God has designed her to be. So my first question, and this is kind of interesting. So we're letting you into our lives a little bit. So it's, we're talking to each other up on stage, but we're still married. And so if you're like, well, it's kind of weird. It is kind of weird, but welcome. This is like our kitchen table. Just have, have a little conversation with us. And so my first question for you, babe, is... Uh, I just listed a, you know, characteristics and descriptions that Paul said, older women, you need to be like this. Younger women, you need to be like this. Out of, out of those, those descriptions, what, what's been, I guess, most challenging to you as a woman and why? Um, 
The one that very quickly came to mind was following my husband. And um, I think before we got married, I had a basic understanding of the roles of the husband and wife. Um, knew that my role was to follow. And um, I thought, okay, yeah, I got that. But then we got married, and I, real, I very quickly realized that was a lot easier said than done. Um, so when we agreed on the decision, then that was fine. I was fine to follow. But when we didn't agree, um, I found myself having a very difficult time letting go of my plan and my decision. And so um, when that happened, some, there were a lot of, of feelings that I had to work through. Um, one was just anger at not getting my way. Um, another one was frustration uh, because I really thought my idea was better or my way of doing it was better, made more sense. Um, and then also just fear that I was going to get ripped off or that I wasn't going to be taken care of. Um, and then honestly, I, I also had to work through resentment. Um, resentment toward Alex, resentment toward even God. Um, I think arrogantly, I felt like I was an intelligent woman and fully capable of making decisions and even being able to call the shots. And so um, I, there were times when I felt like it wasn't fair, that I didn't get to play that role. I felt I was capable of playing it. So those were some of the contributing factors. Now, as she just lists those, part of what happens on, on the guy side is we make decisions and this is what we think. Oh, God, help this work out. That's what's going through my head. Because I know that her idea could be better. But I have to make a decision. And sometimes if that's not the same, I'm just walking out. Oh, God, help this to turn out. She's still there. Yes. Oh, God, please help this to turn out. That's just the picture. It's the ebb and flow. I don't know how things are going to work out. She doesn't know how things are going to work out. But ultimately, I have to make the decision on certain issues. And in that, Sam had to learn, well, how do I respond, especially when she didn't agree? And she's, she's actually done really well in that area. You, I do this like you know what I'm supposed to say. Um, I know what I'm supposed yes. to say. <laughs> the, the next question I want to ask is, how, knowing, okay, that this is part of the growing edge, like how do I, how do I follow and how, how do I let me lead you? But what, what, what's helped you press on despite the things that, have been difficult as you've just looked at your role and the differences that we have and what's helped you, I guess, discover this, this image that, that God has made you to be and how, how has that helped you? Um, there's been several things. Um, one is just that over time, kind of realizing that the way that I make decisions, I'm focused more on short-term fixes um, or I'm thinking relationally. I, I just want this relationship to be good, so let's just do whatever needs to happen. Um, I'm thinking of short-term goals, needs, wants. Um, I began to realize that Alex, the way that he makes decisions, he's thinking more long-term, you know, over the long haul and based on the perspective and values that we have, what is the best decision we need to make. Um, and after being married for 12 years, you know, very quickly I got to see that that, that perspective and that way of making decisions was actually more helpful for our family. Um, our family has really benefited from the way that he makes decisions, whereas my short-term fixes would have only helped for a little bit, and then we would have had bigger problems down the road. So that's one thing. Um, 
Another thing that's been really helpful is um, just as Alex has played his role um, as husband so well, um, specifically just as um, loving me sacrificially, um, which is what the Bible talks about for men, and then also loving our children sacrificially, um, that has helped me trust him more. I have watched him just time and time again. Um, if he has to make, if, if we have to make a decision that requires sacrifice, he, he sacrifices first. And to the best of his ability, he really takes the hit and, and tries to protect me and my kids from it. And, um, and I have really seen him do that. And um, I'm so grateful and I appreciate it. And so I think in return, it makes me, it makes me want to show him respect by following him well. Um, so that's another reason. And then also, um, as life has gotten more complex and complicated, so have the decisions. And I've actually come to a point where there's a lot of decisions that we've had to make that I have been so relieved that I'm not the one in charge of that. It, it feels like too heavy of a burden to carry. It's, it's too complicated. It's too um, big. And I don't want that on my shoulders. Um, I mean, just to give, like, a, a small example, a few years ago we were in the process of buying a home. And just the complexity of that decision, you know, figuring out could we afford it, what could we afford, where did we need to buy, um, what was it going to take to fix up the house, then after that what was it going to take to maintain the house, and in just all of the different details, I would start to really feel stressed out about that. But I would see him really being able to stand up under that pressure um, and for me, I just, I was like, I just kept thinking, God, thank you, God, that my role in this is to support and follow and be a helper to him in whatever he sees best. And I don't have to be the one to carry this burden or to stand up under it. Um, and then lastly, one thing that's, another thing that's been really, really helpful is just mentoring relationships with older godly women, um, they have, that has been really helpful. I have just, I've really been able to watch and copy what older women do. And um, one, one thing that's been helpful with that is, as I've really um, chosen to, to be open and honest about what's going on in my life, um, it has allowed these godly older women to speak truth into my life and just really share God's word with me and show me areas, maybe some blind spots or some areas where I was missing the mark and just couldn't see it. Um, and then also just, you know, these women have been married for 35, 40 plus years, and they, they are in a healthy, happy marriage. Um, they're a good team. They're, they're making an impact on God's kingdom. And these are things that I really want for my life and for our marriage. Um, and so it has really motivated me to follow suit and to really try to um, copy their example um, and then just also really motivate me to ask for God's help in order to play my role well. Okay. Thanks for sharing, Hope. What Sam just mentioned, uh, the, the mature uh, women that, that help, helped her, one of the things that's greatly helped me as a husband, and I mentioned this, um, I believe, last week in Diamond Bar, but one of the primary roles sometimes guys can get into is thinking that we need to fix things. And that includes people. And sometimes we get into these roles where we want to fix the people that we love, whether that's our kids or whether that's our wives, uh, our wife, not plural, <laughs> our wives. <laughs> Sorry, just want to clarify so I don't have to come up here next week and say that again. Um, but 
what, what I found is that the way community works is men get so much help from older men pouring into them and women get so much help from older women pouring into them. Oftentimes, it doesn't happen by women teaching men and by men teaching women. Again, because we're different. And so when you have somebody older that's the same sex as you, there's a sense in which they know how you're wired because they are like you. They know the struggles because they've lived it. And that's why it's so important. And I'm so thankful for the different women that not only has invested in Sam, but that she's been able to invest in because that's really where these relationships and these networks are are strengthened over time. And so I appreciate her sharing that. She was very gracious. The bottom line is, is all the decisions I've made throughout our marriage is always with some, okay, let's do this, and some fear, what are we doing? Now, with the house, I didn't necessarily say that. But in my head, it's like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? And I have to consistently, continually, daily, rely on God to strengthen me, just like she does. And we're still works in progress. There's still issues we have to deal with. And I need to get input from her and find out her angle on things because she has a certain situation that she can see based on the relationships that I can't. And she has to do the same. So there's this picture, again, of the puzzle pieces coming together. We have to consistently decide and choose to team up together. And so I just want to close with three things that we can all do regardless of your situation related to how God has made you. Uh, This is for the single person. This is for the married. This is for married with kids, married without kids. Uh, This is for people that are divorced trying to rebuild their, their family. The idea here is who are the people that we're supposed to be? And if we have kids, how are we supposed to train them? And as we're looking for a potential spouse, what are the things that we should be looking for? And so I hope throughout this series you've seen these characteristics as these are the people that we're supposed to be. And from that, we live within God's purpose for us. And so the last three things is related to what I just said. You want to be around some older people who are wiser than you are and get input from them. That's why the church is so helpful. Sometimes in family life, if you're at the top, there's no one that can help you. Especially as you're an aging parent, there's no one that can help you. But in community, there's people that can actually see the situations you're facing and they can give input, whether you're a man or a woman. The second is, ask God to grow your own strengths. Many times we look at the things that we're missing, we're lacking, that we wish were different. But ask God to grow your uniqueness. Not just as a man or as a woman, but specifically you. There is no one like you. Ask God to to grow your strength so you can be you in the environments in which you are. And then the last thing is, appreciate the strengths of the men and women in your life. More than likely, you are connected to an older woman or an older man, whether that's a parent or whether that's a friend. You know, thank them for the input that they've provided you. If you're married, thank your spouse. As you relate to your kids... Appreciate the differences that they are as a, as a boy, as a girl, but also their unique personality. As we do that, we really can celebrate our differences and the puzzle pieces connect together to create this picture of the people of God. And this community of people that do life His way, they make such a difference because we're living within the design for what God has made us. And so just want to encourage you in that to just think through those people in your life and appreciate them. Um, I'm going to close up. I'm, I've spoken for 
a long time. And so I just want to close the service. Uh, the band's going to come lead us in another song. But each week we talk through next steps. And I've mentioned three steps that you can take. But on the back of your connection card, uh, you can mark if you'd like to take those. So I encourage you to do that. If you've not finished completing your connection card, you can do that right now as I'm wrapping up. Then we're going to be receiving our offering. And if you could com- put that completed connection card uh, in there, that would be great. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the story of how you made us. And we thank you for your uniqueness as a God who you see what could be. You see the potential before we do. And you've designed things in a way that's not just from your intelligence, but that's from your creativity. And so you're a creative God that's made us different. And although we have similarities being human and we have differences as well. God, you are the the God that binds us together. And so I I pray for unity in the different units that we exist, whether that's at work, in family life, in church life. Unify us together, God, that the differences that we have can actually complement each other instead of draw wedges. And so, God, we, we ask for your help in this. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.